Today we're going to be looking at a kingdom parable in the book of Mark, chapter 4. But before we get into that, I want to kind of do a, a recap, if you will, of kind of what's going on in Mark and what was going on in the culture at the time. Um, unfortunately, this is not Disney Plus and you cannot skip the recap. <laughs> so here we go. The Jewish people who lived uh, during this time, uh, in this, the turn of the century, were anticipating the promised Messiah. And uh, we can see this in Matthew eleven three. In fact, we've got a lot of verses here. Um, I'm going to be peppering a lot of these at you, so I didn't want to read through them all, but they're here available for you to jot down on your notes, and I encourage you to, to look through these later um, and uh, just double check, make sure I know what I'm talking about. But it's good. It's good to be in the Word, yes? All righty. So uh, they were anticipating the promised Messiah uh, who would rule as a new king. Uh, they were not necessarily looking to establish a monarchy or a kingdom, but were rather looking for a figure who would rule as a king. And so consequently, the kingdom of God referred more to a power than a place, uh, more to a reign than a realm. And this ruler would then be able to bring people under the submission of a new law that was written on tablets of human hearts, enabling them to be different kind of human as a result of being born again into this kingdom, as we read in John 3, 3. So those that were looking for uh, this kingdom of God to come were also anticipating uh, an end of the past and that this king would usher in a new era. Uh, in fact, most Jewish people living during the time when Jesus walked the earth, uh, they thought that they lived at the very brink uh, of time when God would step into history and bring this transition. And so Jesus came preaching, uh, the kingdom is at hand. And we can see that in Mark 1. And there will be some standing with him who will see the kingdom come in power. We can see that in Mark 9, Matthew 16, and Luke 9. And how the kingdom has come upon those who see demons driven out, Luke 11, Matthew 12, and who qualifies and is disqualified from the kingdom in Matthew 5. So this kingdom is clearly not an establishment of an institution, uh, but it's a principle for living. So albeit there are many different cultural uh, differences rather um, which uh, create distance between those that uh, read the gospels firsthand and those of us who read them today, uh, but this, uh, this kingdom of God is not one. Jesus principalized this idea of a kingdom already, making it a timeless truth. Uh, the people in his day, they were uh, to look different uh, for not, sorry, they were to not look uh, for a different form of government, but rather live as different people. The same is true for us. We do not adhere to a separate set of governmental realities, um, but we are to live with our allegiance to the, the Lord of heaven and earth. So the church's mission then is to continue to expand the kingdom of God by way of the, the Holy Spirit uh, working in us and giving opportunities of rebirth Matthew 28, 19. And we also clearly see that the kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. Uh, his rule is, is not quite absolute, uh, and Jesus will return to make that so. And the kingdom of God is an already and not yet reality. 
So today, like I said, we're looking at a kingdom parable, and it's one that's unique to Mark. In fact, of all the parables that Jesus uh, taught and spoke about, uh, Mark chooses four uh, to be in his entire gospel, and he nestles all four of them right here in chapter four in between two very powerful and poignant truths, one being that the willful rejection of God's revealing, it leaves no room for the Holy Spirit to change that person, for they're full of themselves and content uh, to, to be so. And the other is Jesus, just like Yahweh of the Old Testament, is Lord of the chaos waters. As, as God gave order to, to the water in creation, as he sent and, and caused the waters of Noah to recede, and then he parted the Red Sea, Jesus too, he speaks peace and calm and uh, he is commanding over the wind and the waves. And so Mark takes these standard Jewish beliefs and and he uses correlating events of Jesus' life to help his Greek readers make the same connecting points about the kingdom, mainly that Jesus is Lord of it and we're to be a part of it. So let's start with the reading of this great parable and see how we can identify um, as a kingdom person. Mark 4, verses 26 through 29. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So how can we know if we identify as a kingdom person? First, knowing kingdom people broadcast Jesus. Kingdom people broadcast Jesus. And he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground In this parable, Jesus first states that the kingdom of God is concerning a man, not the man or not really a a male. There's no need to to get hung up on on gender-neutral terminology or feel the need to to fight against the, the cultural sway of that by pointing out that Jesus bases his kingdom parable on men. No, this word here, it does carry somewhat of a gender-neutral idea. It can be translated human or person, but to do so would lose its illocutionary force. Translating this word as man, it automatically associates the function in our minds of scattering seed to a skill or a trade. If we were to say a woman scatters seed, it would be the same. We would think of a gardener or or even a botanist as she would scatter seed and plant seed to to test and and run run examples of, of different things. But if we were to use the word person to translate, that if a person scattered seed, we would think that anyone would do, that anyone could fill that part, a a three-year-old, a software developer living on the 23rd floor of a building in a metropolitan area, and we would have lost sight of what Mark and Jesus were wanting to communicate, which is mainly that who this man is directly impacts what he does. It leads us to ask the question, who is this man? And the answer He's a farmer who scatters seed. That's what he does. And where does he scatter the seed? Anywhere there's ground. 
So this, this parable is a sequel to the, to the farmer scattering seed of the different types of soil found in the beginning of chapter four. And so we see here yet again, he's planting again, planting more seed because this is who he is and this is what he does. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who plants seed. The kingdom of God is like a pilot who flies a plane. The kingdom of God is like a parent who instructs their child. It's what we do. There's no profound mystery here. There's no, there's no great calling. It's simply doing what we are meant to be doing. See, parables are supposed to have this, this uh, punch in the gut factor. They're to, to grab you and to shake you and, and, and to, to, to get us out of our self-delusions on who we think we are. This verse 26, it's not the punch in the gut, but I think it hits me the hardest. You see, I've always viewed myself as someone who wants to help the weak get strong, someone who's capable and desires to train and equip and to build into people, to help those who are struggling to achieve but I've never considered myself the person who's, who's best fit to convince someone else to start trying or, or to inspire them to, to jump in on a new journey. So this viewpoint, this self-identity that I have, it's, it's affected much of the way that, I, that I've you know, approached spreading the word and, and sharing my Christian life. And sadly, it's oftentimes it has given me an out. I remember back in 1998 when a, a friend and I, we got into a debate after we read in our Bible study that uh, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. I was making the point that, um, <clears throat> I was making the point that, that through our love and our, our devotion to one another, we can better exemplify the grace of Christ than our words ever can. It sounds good, doesn't it? It sounded good to me until my friend came back says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word through Christ. And Christ here, even himself in chapter four, says that uh, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So where's my out now? We're disciples of Christ. Scattering seed, spreading the word, broadcasting Jesus. It's what we do. There's a, real, uh, there's a real duh moment here. Kingdom people broadcast Jesus. Duh. There's no, it's not my gift. I'm not called to do that. Kingdom people broadcast Jesus. It's what we do. If you would uh, allow me a moment of vulnerability because I still can't get this argument out of my head and I want to continue it. <laughs> but my point about this, this love and, and, and this verse that is a very powerful one and it's absolutely true but what is love? Baby don't hurt me <laughs> no it's more it's more than just the restraint of not treating someone poorly it's, it's more than just offering someone the only smile they might receive in the day. It's, it's more than even just paying it forward in the drive-through lane. 
Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down his life for his friends, like Jesus did. We show that we're followers of Jesus when we love like he did, sacrificially for the benefit of others. This is love. And what greater benefit can there be than than telling people about Jesus who took on our sentence of death even though he was not culpable in the crime and through his resurrection back to life, he removes all the guilt and now calling those willing to follow him into eternal life. So yes, let's share his good news. And broadcasting Jesus always comes at the cost of sacrificing our own goals and agendas. Pastor Tony, a few weeks ago, he encouraged us to be willing to risk our jobs for the sake of the gospel. That's a hard pill to swallow. But he's absolutely right. Any self-identity or imposed expectation that stops us from proclaiming the gospel, we need to reevaluate our priorities because people of the gospel kingdom broadcast Jesus anywhere there's ground. So can you identify as a kingdom person because you're broadcasting Jesus? It's what kingdom people do. But also kingdom people wait on God. Kingdom people wait on God. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As we're getting into the meat of the parable now, I want to offer an interpretive caution. Uh, Parables are not instructions on the topic discussed. This isn't the the portion of scripture that we look to 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 figure out what are are the, the most godly farming practices and what they look like. No, rather, this is, you know, a common understanding of the practice of farming, instructing us on how to live Christ-honoring lives. Uh, so this understanding, it helps us to not get hung up on when this farmer doesn't know how the germination process works. Um, since this is not instructing us on, on what or how farming is to be done, we can take these words at face value. It's, it's not that God or his word is ignorant of science. No, it's, it's the fact that this particular farmer doesn't know how it works. And so he plants seed and then he goes to bed. And the farmer wakes up the next morning and he grabs a cup of coffee. This is the paraphrased version. In the paraphrased version, there's always coffee. (laughs) So he ventures out to the end of his field, surveying all that he did. And he stares at the ground all day long. And then he goes to bed. The next day, he wakes up early He gets a fresh cup of coffee. He walks out to his field. He admires all that he accomplished. And he stares at the ground, pondering, why isn't it growing yet? Eventually, saunters back to his bed, only to meet the same fate the next day, day after day, trip after trip, until finally shoots appear piercing the top of the soil. In his excitement, he drags his wife outside to show her the field. She pats him on the shoulder and says, that's nice, dear, and heads back inside. (laughs) He calls the children out so they too can marvel at the green wonder, and they scurry around him, 
as, as he stares out into the vast glory of his grassy field, but only to return the next day and mutter in disappointment, they're still the same size. <laughs> Do you feel sorry for the farmer? Do you sometimes feel like the farmer? Training your children and feeling like you're not getting anywhere? Trying to tell your family about Jesus and they just don't seem to get it? Keep broadcasting Jesus. God does the growing. Whether we're awake or asleep, there's a process to it. It takes time and development. There's the blade and then the head and then the full grain of the head. Don't grow weary in doing good, but we must wait on God. And when we begin to think that, that we need to build the church or we need to build God's kingdom for him, we've started to think too highly of ourselves. Wait on God. God does the growing. God makes the changes. In his book called The Kingdom of Self, Earl Jabe writes, after 20 years of cigarette smoking, I wanted to quit. Wanting to quit, however, I could not. Thinking I had the willpower to stop, I kept drifting back to the addiction. I tried cigars, pipes, candy, resolutions, withering self-castigation, and even prayers, which always began, Lord, help me. They slowed but did not stop my return to cigarettes. Slowly it began to dawn on me that I could not help myself. Worse, the more I used my willpower, the more helpless I became. I was like a fish which, was hit, which hit the bait of the trolling fisherman. The more the fish struggles, the deeper the hook is embedded. The only hope for the hooked fish is that the fisherman would remove the hook and return the fish to water. Some God-fearing friends who are wise in the ways of fish and people advised me to abandon my willpower approach. So I gave up, surrendered, waited, and I waited for the power other than myself. I could never save myself from addiction. Salvation would mean being saved by another. Our power-mindedness plays great havoc in our lives. Sometimes we almost kill ourselves trying to demonstrate how great our power is. There are certainly things, as Earl points out, that only God can do. There are plenty of things that we, we take for granted. Getting up in the morning, making ourselves breakfast. If someone to ask you, who made you breakfast? We would say, I did. And we often forget that it's Christ that sustains all of reality and that it's in the power of God, the origin of life, the life giver himself, that we have our very existence. Yet there are times where we clearly understand our utter lack and sufficiency. When we're faced with deteriorating health, consistent opposition on every turn, ongoing personal failures, it's in these moments that we wait for God to move. Likewise, we look to God to grow the seed of the gospel in our children, in our parents, in our spouse, in our co-workers, and in our neighbors. Whether they're bare ground, a blade of grass, or a head of wheat, we wait and look to God for their growth. 
like Earl, our willpower is not good enough to change us and it's not good enough to change them. God's not finished growing them. And let's be honest, he's not finished growing us. He isn't finished growing our pastor. He's not finished growing us elders. He's not finished growing our small group leaders. And he hasn't finished growing our volunteers here. This is God's business. God's good at what he does. So are you waiting on God? Or are you trying to pull the seed back out of the ground to check to see if it's growing or not? I get the feeling. Recently, my youngest and I, we took a cup of dirt along with four seeds from our magnolia tree and, and we planted them and we added water. We waited for them to grow and we came the next day to check on them. <laughs> they hadn't grown yet. But we would check on them day after day and still nothing and eventually we'd start to dig around in the dirt like is anything in there? So I get it, I understand. But eventually we gave up on the project we walked away from it. Harvest to cater. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep waiting. Keep sharing. Keep praying. Keep loving. And displaying the grace of Christ. Not because if you don't, nothing will happen, but because we share, we pray, and we love. Because that's what kingdom people do. Outside of that, kingdom people wait on God. It's easy to overcompensate uh, when, when we feel a loss of control. We react out of fear, hypothesizing numerous what ifs, what nots, and when wills. Anxiety kicks in. And I know it's hard to shut the brain off when it's in a spiral of worry. I've been there. Wait on God. Trust his process. Go to sleep and rise again and wait. Keep broadcasting Jesus and wait. Keep praying for your loved one to trust in the Lord and wait. Keep praying for your prodigal child to return to the Father and wait. Keep ministering to one another in your small groups and wait keep serving in the church and wait can you identify as a kingdom person because you're waiting on God it's what kingdom people do until the harvest time then kingdom people get to work multiplying disciples kingdom people get to work multiplying disciples but when the grain is ripe at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So even though several commentators, uh, commentators, yeah, disagree with this, um, I don't think this harvest mentioned here has to do with the end of times. Uh, it's, it is the case for the parable of the wheat and the weeds for sure, um, but I don't think so for this one in Mark. And one commentator, he did point out that there's one character that's in each of these phases uh, in this, this verse, this parable, and that's the man. And he says that this man is Jesus. And I find that hard because I don't see how the word 
right, who was there in the beginning and spoke the earth into existence is now scattering seed and is unclear of how what he created uh, is, is, is growing and happening. Um, so I don't think that's the case. But I do believe that this is where the idea of the kingdom of God as being already and not yet comes into play. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is here, but his gospel kingdom is not fully realized. We read in Mark 1.15 that the kingdom of God is at hand, believe in the gospel. And in Luke 17, uh, we see that the kingdom of God is in the midst of those Jesus spoke with. And I believe I should have some verses coming up on the screen. You can jot these down as well. But we also read in Revelation 14, 15 that the full and final harvest takes place at the end of the age. So where do we land on this harvest uh, here mentioned in this parable in Mark? Well, Jesus did teach uh, about the final times, but he also spoke of a harvest that was ready as he spoke to his followers. We can see these in John 4, Matthew 9, and Luke 10, too which reads, and the harvest, sorry, it said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Given that the only antecedent present in this parable is the man mentioned in 26, when he sends out the sickle for the harvest, this harvest mentioned here, it has to be the same harvest that we're all about here at Harvest Decatur. And that's the multiplication of disciples. We've broadcasted Jesus. We've waited for God to grow the people. Now we send the sickle. Now we get to work in the harvest for we are the laborers in the field. The sickle cuts them from their current field so that they're now ready to plant a crop in another field. Disciples making disciples who then in turn make more disciples. And there's no hesitation when the harvest is ready. At once, they are sent. So this multiplying disciples, we do this with our small groups. So as we pray for one another, encourage one another, and minister one to one another, in the midst of this, God grows us. And then there arises a need for more groups and more leaders. And so we multiply We prove to ourselves that we are kingdom people because we're not trying to hide or sequester something good for ourselves. Rather, we set it out for all to share in its light. And we don't make our participation in our small groups about our goals and agendas, but we submit ourselves to God's growing through the sharing of our lives together. And so when the time comes, we send people to do more ministry. We multiply our disciple-making engine. We do this multiplying disciples in our harvest kids also. All four of my children uh, have or either are benefiting from this ministry. Uh, We've had numerous conversations as we leave church on Sunday about what did you learn today? And uh, they tell stories of, you know, the great accounts that they've learned in the Bible. And they've learned, you know, the value of love. But most importantly, they hear the gospel. And many of our young ones, They're not small shoots, but are developing heads of faith. And when harvest time comes, yeah, we'll send them out as sheep among wolves, but they'll be sheep 
who know their shepherd's voice. So multiplying disciples is also why we believe in church planting. Planting. A church plants, God grows, and then they send out and plant again, field after field. Planting and growing and harvesting. Planting and growing and harvesting. Planting and growing and harvesting. This is why we partner with and support churches like Rock Island and why we're a part of the Great Commission Collective Network. The church was never meant to be a, a fortified uh, bulwark against the onslaught of the culture. Rather, we are to be a supernatural change agent, ever expanding outward and onward. This is the call of Christ. This is our great work. This is the gospel kingdom. So Harvest Decatur, we've been here 10 plus years. Are we still a blade of grass or are we ready to harvest? Kingdom people broadcast Jesus. Kingdom people wait on God. And when it's harvest time, kingdom people get to work. The kingdom of God is as if a parent should instruct their child day after day, life lesson after life lesson, the child grows and the parent guessing all the way long. The young one learns to walk on her own and then begins to see how she is her own person. And one day she's looking to venture out into life on her own. And when the day of adulthood comes, the parent proud of the woman standing before him says I love you do great things amen